everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 15, Workarounds, brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopie.com. Today, we're going to take a look at some of the common problems with Linux, and hopefully, how to resolve them. And doing that with us today is our regular panel of guests, minus one, uh, and we'll start with Mr. Chris Neves. Say hello to the world, Chris. Hello, everyone. How's that beer tasting? Oh, it's lovely tonight. It looks frosty. And Mr. It's, it's Aaron Butler, yummy. our new in residence. Hi, Aaron. Those of you that can't see the uh, video stream that we are sharing so so we can communicate with each other, my favorite part of every introduction is that Chris waves and points to the camera and then says hello, <laughs> and I'm always afraid he's going to forget to say hello. <laughs> so salute back to you, Chris. Hello. Yeah. Nobody can see it, but he does it anyway. He does. That's the he's, attention to detail that our hosts he's, have. He's fully vested in the process. <laughs> That's right. And our usual uh, friend, Mr. Aaron, uh, excuse me, Aaron is here. Uh, Seth Anderson is not with us again this week. As I mentioned last week, he's got some uh, family medical issues he's dealing with, uh, but he should be back with us the next time we record, and we will look for his return then. Fantastic. Um, we, hope for, we hope for quick healings and whatever else is wrong. Yeah. Uh, he, he lives with his elderly parents, and uh, his dad... Um, fell or uh, was injured in some way i'm not I, he didn't tell me what it was in the quick text that he sent me but uh so yeah he's dealing with that um and so i wanted to mention um <laughs> the difference aaron and i uh, aaron and i were talking before we went on he's a a a runner or trying to become a runner and he was describing how he'd fallen and skinned his knee for like the what the seventh day in a row or something he's he's becoming quite a two a times yeah, in the last right. month yeah okay something <laughs> like that um and he talked about how he didn't even realize it until he was taking a picture and felt the blood dripping down his arm or something like that and i just wanted to contrast that with the difference between the way my daughter wiped out today as she was running across the concrete sidewalk in flip-flops bad combination she wiped well. out caught both elbows a knee and a palm and believe me she was well aware of the situation Ugh. Well, I saw the knee. I looked at the knee. I was like, ah, oh, you know, it's all filthy and dirty because it was on a trail. But we were we were hiking up at Cloudland Canyon State Park in northwest Georgia. I recommend it, by the way, if you're anywhere near there. And uh, But then Cheryl took a picture of me and my son standing looking out over the beautiful vista, you know, this beautiful, gorgeous canyon. And, uh, and then I looked in the picture later. You know, it's a five-megapixel picture, so it's pretty decent quality. And sure enough, there's a big blob of blood running down my left <laughs> <laughs> it should be it's like a, a bad movie b movie poster um he was a father but he had a dirty secret his <laughs> <laughs> bloody elbows starring Aaron uh, but uh, that's the difference between the way a 40 year old wipes out and the way a seven year old wipes out. 43 what are you Aaron? i am uh, 42 so, yeah, mark 42. somewhere around there uh, 42.6 <laughs> 42.6 uh wow and, and when my daughter wiped out the the end of the world had come upon her it was terrible but a series of band-aids made the world right again do you have yeah. a band-aid on Aaron? I did earlier, just because it was bleeding and oozing still. Okay. My elbow, I've never put one, but yeah. Oh. My, well, my son is directly proportional to how many people see him. That's right. And that, there's that moment where they fall, and then they look around. All right, can I get some sympathy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't <laughs> that the truth? I saw, I've seen my son out the back window, you know, eat it, get up, and keep going. You know, devastating fall, out of the, out of the swing or whatever. And then I've also seen him bump the wall as he walks by and know that I'm there and be like, oh, my elbow. Yeah. So. I have a hangnail. Exactly. <laughs> you just remind me. whole a, any attention is any, is good attention. Yeah. You just remind me of one of my first horror stories as a parent. I was at a birthday party just across the street, and my oldest daughter then was two, and she walked in front of two six year olds swinging, and one oh. of them caught her both feet flat in the face, and it, I watched it happen. It was one of those slow motion no kind of moments you know i was trying to make it stop and it picked her up off the ground and lofted her five or six feet back and it was one of those horrific moments as a parent we think i've just my child is dead they are yeah. now dead but then then you realize babies bounce because she, exactly. she cried a little bit and then she went and played yep i have a similar experience with my son but he didn't get he wasn't so lucky to, to catch his head because i think he would have been perfectly fine but he cut two feet <laughs> in the stomach Ooh. And so oh, yeah. yeah. like this for a while. Oh, well, it and it was a um it was an older friend of of the family's, so there was a little weight behind the uh, the whole pendulum action and he flew three or four feet and then tumbled backwards. Oh. So it was like, you know, the whole limp ray 
tumble thing was kind of spooky. And that's but, yeah, the worst feeling in the world. You think you're never going to breathe again. Yep. That moment. Oh, where you, oh it's terrible. Yeah, yeah he I'm, was, I'm still off he was not a happy camper. <laughs> I can still remember falling off the monkey bars in kindergarten and having the breath knocked out of me and how frightening that was. And one more thing that just a, a personal note, I saw somebody I hadn't, this is probably better fit for one of Aaron, for Aaron's other show that I co-host on, but, uh, uh, I hadn't, I saw somebody today that I hadn't seen in about five years. And, uh, like the first thing he said to me is, have you lost a whole lot of weight? Why? Yes. Yes, I have. Thank you very much. That's awesome. kind of a cool thing when, when that happens. Cause looking in a mirror every day, I don't really see the change and I, it's easy to get frustrated with the fact that right. I'm not seeing the change, but it was cool to see that somebody else did. Yeah, it's always, um, like I said, this is, yeah, you need to remember to put this in the warm up notes for the other show, Mark. You want to jump over there real quick? I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, it's always nice whenever people notice what you don't want to have happen is the opposite. Yeah. Which have most people won't weight? say, you put a little bit of pounds on, Aaron, you know? So, yeah, that, that's always fun. You know, um, as, as a side note here, uh, since we've got our hundreds of loyal listeners out there and they're all smart people because they're listening to the show, if you're listening to the show, you must be smart. Um, because you found you, or both. Um, I'm looking to buy a car. So Chris, Mark, EDL listeners of all ages, races, ethnic creeds, what do you recommend? Now, before I, you answer me, let me just throw a little, uh, some, some caveats, some quid pro quos, uh, some addendums in there. I'm wanting a used car, preferably an 09 or 10. Um, it needs to be mid-sized or bigger because I'm mid-sized or bigger and I do have a family. I don't care if it's a min- it could go up to a minivan. I don't want something really big like a full size SUV because my wife won't be comfortable driving it. Um, so and it needs to be less than a thousand dollars. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do want to. I am shooting more on the end of of bargain because I want to. I want to. I'm breaking one of my own rules and and financing this. So I'm gonna try to pay it off as quickly as possible. So any Mark. Chris, any cars that, that come to mind as something that might fit the bill? Man, I, so, I, I'm just going to have to, you know, lay my man points on the table and just say take them all. Um, I'm rocking the minivan and loving it. Um, as much as I hate to admit that, when you get in there and it's comfortable and the kids are in the back and they have their own air conditioning and their own I have, radio and whatever, it's awesome. I have no problem with that. We have a minivan right now, and that'll actually probably be my car. It'll be stepped down to me, and my 89 Volvo will go yeah. to the way of the Dodo. Um but I don't mind buying another minivan. I just don't want to. I'm not. Don't have to get another minivan because what will probably happen? My wife will continue to drive the minivan for her two mile commute to my son's school, um, and I will take the newer car with hopefully better gas mileage, which is the other point we're trying to get to do my 18 mile one way commute. So um, well, I can say what I know of. Um, we bought a Taurus X. Uh-huh. And it's more of it's more of a station wagon than an SUV, and that thing is a people hauler, um, and it holds a lot of equipment too. Uh, a that's lot great. of our listeners may not know, but we do. Ta- uh, my family and I do Taekwondo, and that's a lot of bags of gear that is hauled around. And so, for three people in Taekwondo, it fits four people, five bags, and there's still room. Um, that's great. Does, it does excellent in gas mileage. Uh, I think we were the last couple of trips we went on. It was like twenty sub miles to the gallon. Um, the air conditioner gets cold enough to freeze you. It's hot enough to melt you. Uh, I really like the Taurus X. And if you got a smartphone, look for the Sync technology. It's it's awesome. Cool, Mark. What kind of SUV uh, minivan do you have? We um, test drove literally every minivan on the market, which is only like four. <laughs> there aren't a lot of people that make them, and went with the top of the heap, the Honda Odyssey. There so you have the Odyssey. Yeah. 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 The Odyssey is getting the best ranking. The Sienna is just one notch below it. I'm actually looking at both of those. We currently have a, a Grand Caravan, which is kind of the granddaddy of them, which is still a great car. And then, of course, the uh, Town and Country, which is the same thing, but expensive, more expensive. We started at the Grand Caravan and liked it until we drove anything else. Every other right. van drives better than a caravan. Yeah. All yeah. of them do. Yeah, man, my father-in-law had the Odyssey for a while, and it drove fantastic. Do you have the cool little rearview mirror in the mirror? Yeah, that's cool. The cam- yeah. rearview camera. That's awesome. Uh-huh. I, I yeah. don't ever want to drive another car without <laughs> it. Yep. 
the problem with the Odyssey is it's the best one, so it costs the most, apparently. Yeah, it is expensive, and we didn't get the top-of-the-line touring model with, you know, flames on the side and leather. Uh, well, actually, we did get leather, but uh, uh, we got the next step down. And, and I've told Abby, who is now almost nine, this is your first car. So we're going to take, take good care of this. And and yeah. she takes it to heart when her little sister crawls over the back seat. She says, hey, stop that. You're going to break that seat. This is my car. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah, we're, we fully imp- intend to keep this for a decade or more. Yeah. And, the wrong, and for on that same note, Aaron, uh, the wrong person sitting in this chair right now, my wife is a car manager for the an office manager for a used car dealership. And so oh, she'd okay. be able to hit you with all sorts of information left and right. So, uh if she comes back before uh, the show's over, maybe I'll have you guys sit down and talk. What does she know about KDE? <laughs> nah, not enough to do anything about it. She sits down and goes, okay, that's Firefox. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> Sounds like her computer skills are similar to my wife's. Yeah. Oh, no, she's she's a power user, but she's a po- Windows power user. So oh. when she sits down in front of my Linux machine, she goes, okay, just tell me where the thing is. I don't even want to know. Right. So maybe we should actually talk a little bit about Linux, since the name sure. of the show is Everyday Linux and not Everyday Autos uh, <laughs> or Everyday Child Wipeouts. Um, so we're, we're going to talk about some workarounds, some things that are common problems. You know, last week uh, in that show, we pretty much talked exclusively about problems. Sorry about that. That's kind of the way it goes. But hopefully we're going to offer you some workarounds, some way to fix those sort of things. Uh, and probably the, the and the one that we've talked about on the show a couple of times, uh, probably the number one is wireless cards that yep. don't work and, and modems also, though not many people use modems anymore. Uh, but wireless cards that don't work. Um, and we've, ha- we've talked about some workarounds before um, that, you know, involve compiling uh, a different kernel or whatever. Uh, Chris, do you have any I, any cons- – and I've told you my, my philosophy is go to Best Buy and get a new one. It's cheaper uh, – or it's not cheaper, but it's a whole lot uh, fewer headaches than actually Time trying to money. fix the problem. Uh, but, Chris, do you have any solutions for how to get a wireless card to work? Well, a lot of that comes down to how much research are you willing to put into it. Uh, I've only found one or two different cards in – my small collection of Wi-Fi cards that hadn't worked in Linux without it, without you know there there was no workaround. Um, most of them were Mad Wi-Fi, which is a package if you need it um, compatible. A uh, few were the Broadcom chipsets before they went open source with their drivers. So the Atheros um, chipset is a is a commonly held problem, and that's yeah, what I have. Uh, well, some of those work with the with the Mad Wi-Fi. Um, Mad Wi-Fi is the Atheros uh, driver set, but they're hit and miss. So, is, is that something that it would be in the repositories? Mad Wi-Fi. Uh, if it isn't, you can get a. If you're in the Ubuntu set, you can find the PPA that has it. Um, they're they're not very hard to looking for. Uh, I could probably Google search it and find the links for it pretty quick. Mad dot net. Okay, there let's back up. You said, remember, I'm the noob. You said, if you're in the something, something, you can probably find it. The what? <laughs> the Ubuntu. The, the if, you're in, if you're in Ubuntu or any of the Ubuntu deli- derivative distributions, so like Mint, Kubuntu, um, Xvuntu, um, they have what's called a PPA, which is personal package. Uh, I don't remember what the A stands for. Uh, archive. That's what it is. Uh, and what they do is it's another source for your um, packages. Uh, most of them give you a copy-paste to a, that you copy this command into a terminal and then it adds itself automatically into your system, um, which I have to do for blue, my Bluetooth, just so you guys know. We might want to talk about that later, Mark, um, is Bluetooth. The website is um, madwifi-project.org. And I'll put that in yep. the show notes. And that's uh, good to know because because my laptop that I'm running Ubuntu on does have an Atheros based card and it does not work. I can't get the Wi-Fi to work still. So and I'll there, try that PPA thing. <clears throat> well, and then you might end up see the some of the Mad Wi-Fi drivers are built into the kernel now. So the most common ones are built in. The mo- the uncommon ones you have to install the PPA, the Mad Wi-Fi package. Um, and looking at the website here, you can even download a patched kernel to install. They've pre-patched it for you, which is nice. See, so the, there, there's ways around it. 
which is why I said we needed to sit down and talk if you wanted your Wi-Fi to work. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that would be my usual suspects there. Uh, the other thing I would suggest if you're going to buy a laptop that has Wi-Fi, you know, maybe do some digging around to see if you can find out what chipsets in it and then see if there's support. That's what I do with any laptop before I buy it is, you know, because it'll tell you what chip is in it. So you just Google search the chip and see if there's Linux support or not for it. And that's a that's a good point there. You know, the, the whole uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure sort of thing. If you know ahead of time you're going to run Linux, just go look and see, you know, particularly if you already know what brand of Linux, what version you're going to want. If you're going to be an Ubuntu guy, if you're going to be a, a CentOS guy, if you're going to be a, a, a OpenSUSE guy, uh, go to their website and look at what they recommend. And and it's just, you know, it'll give you a checklist style uh, of known hardware, and you can go look for that. You know, if you go to the to the the big box store, you're going to get a, a laptop with a sticker on it that says uh, Windows 7 compatible or whatever. Um, and, and you're basically going to be doing your own compatibility stuff. Um, so that's a, a good thing to do if you know that you can do it ahead of time. Well, even if you're not going to do it ahead of time, if you're going to go into the big box store, you can go, most of the time they have a Google search right there on the laptop. You could possibly... You know, do a quick check and see what the card is, and that's a good point. Google the, search it right there in there, or the model number of the laptop. Yep, um, I there. Thought, that's a good idea. I hadn't thought about that. Using the laptop in the store to search for the Linux version that's compatible with it. And you know, I know most places won't do this, but I know the the Best Buy that's close to me. If you go in with a live CD with the when the right Best Buy employees are are, are working, they'll let you boot it with the live CD, if, as long as they're standing right there. But they'll let you boot it off the CD just to see if it's compatible. So that might be something else. If you're going to be running Ubuntu or any of the distributions that give you a live DVD or a live CD, take it with you down to the big box store and see if their their salesman or their techs will let you boot it and to see if the, the hardware is supported. That's a good idea. That's a good tip. Now, you're, you're going to be waving your geek flag when you do that. You walk in. Oh, yeah. You freely admit, I am a geek. But it's not a bad idea, and you know, and you might you, some of those people are going to just look at you funny and say, uh, "I don't think so," and you know, but you you might get lucky. Yeah. You know, what, the wor- the worst they're going to tell you is no. Go to the guy with the most pimples on his face and ask him, <laughs> or the biggest beard. <laughs> yeah, the neck beard. Find a neck beard and ask him. <laughs> uh, uh, another thing you could do is look up uh, your. There might be a local Linux group. You know, a lug. See if there's a local lug that, you know, they can actually be a great resource. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know, lug is Linux users group. Um, I'm not aware of a lug in my area, but then again, I've never searched for one either. Maybe I should start one because I've got all this spare time what, with all the podcasting and stuff. <laughs> That's I was going to start a local lug, but that would be for me and one other person. Yeah, well, where you live, <laughs> local is, is a five people. <laughs> if. Yeah, if five people. So uh, the next thing on the list that I have is sound cards, and I and I put these things here because I've had experience with them. And in my particular situation, um, I did an upgrade and it broke the sound card. So um, sometimes you you have to look at not only the compatibility of the hardware, but which with with which version is the current version uh, going to work, and then maybe you know don't do an upgrade. Uh, but the solution to that for me in that situation was wait. Uh, so I think it was Ubuntu 9.04 worked. I had to skip 9.10 because it didn't, but 10.04 did work. Um, well, that might have been one of the whatever it was. Yeah. Did you did you check and see if there was a glitch in the upgrade? You know, did you try a clean install, Mark? Oh no, it was a, didn't work? it was a well known, well publicized uh, thing that they screwed Bug. up in the upgrade. Ah. Uh, so that's another thing. Because I know. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. But you no, it's like Chip and Dale. After you, no, after you. Um, <laughs> no, that's a uh, that's another thing. Look at the known bugs. Uh, again, you're going to yep. have to wave your geek flag. Uh, but if you've got, if you're making this choice, if you're buying new hardware, you've got uh, a lot more options than if you're just trying to resurrect old hardware or something like that. But I'm going to assume that most of the time we're not going to be buying new hardware because, as Chris likes to point out, we don't all get new laptops every couple of years. I tried this year. 
I really did. <laughs> Just didn't happen. See, the way um, I look at it, that's my expensive hobby. Some guys play golf. Some guys collect cigars. Some guys have a wine cellar. I get a new laptop every 18 months. You know, we, we all have our expensive hobbies. That one's mine. Yep. Mine was pool cues for a while. So any other thoughts about sound cards? Uh, you know, one of the things I've found with sound cards is I know now it's a little harder to do because Pulse Audio is so deeply integrated. Um, but some of the problems, if you can remove Pulse Audio and just run ALSA, that might fix your issues too. All right, uh, so uh, go back a little bit and define the differences between Pulse and, and ALSA. Uh, yeah, there you go. Pulse is more like a Windows thing where it, one it, it's one interface to control multiple ways of audio. Um, also, is more one thing can use the hardware, and you're, if you're listening to music, that's the only thing that can play that can use the audio system. Pulse does like the mixing of multiple sources for audio. So, like if I wanted to right now, since I'm running Pulse, I could be listening, you know, talking with Mark and, and Aaron. And I could be playing with uh, Banshee and listening to some music in the background as well. Um, Most Linux normally, distributions will let you use both, and some will let you use both at the same time. Yep. Now, uh, but there, there there has been issues in the past where the Pulse product, or the Pulse packages kind of had a hiccup or a, a small gitch when it comes to uh, certain hardware sets. And that was that was the one that bit me was uh, uh, Pulse didn't work. They broke it with the upgrade to Ubuntu, and also also didn't work. So I had to, uh, what I had was like I had system sounds because also handles things differently. Um, quick, somebody Google also. I forget what it stands for. Um, audio language. I don't remember. But anyway, um, yeah. Uh, it it like you said it handles everything differently. So I would have sound in some apps. But not another. Like for example, I'd have system sounds. I'd have the the bleeps and bloops there, but Skype wouldn't work. Or I'd Advanced be able to Linux sound architecture. Ad, Sorry. Thank you. There Advanced you go. Linux sound architecture. So I'd be able to play um, like one game would have sound, and the next game wouldn't, and because that's kind of the way it also works. Whereas Pulse is more all inclusive, but it really isn't all or nothing. Uh, if it works, it's going to work across the board, and and it's going to make everything work. But if it doesn't work, you got nothing. Yep. And that there. There have been leaps and bounds in the last, say, year and a half where Pulse went from a pile of, of poo to actually quite functional now. Um, and you also don't have to worry about some of the other hiccups that Pulse had where you had to be in the Pulse group in your, your Linux groups. Um, that was a bug that was floating around where if you weren't considered a Pulse user, you wouldn't be able to get any sounds either. Right. So any other tips on... What what to do if your sound card doesn't work? Uh, you know, you could go back to the whole Google thing. Google search your your yeah. sound card manufacturer and see if that helps. Um, I've been on the lucky set where every sound card I've ever ran had support. So, see, my I advice really is can't. a little different. I tend to to be like water and take the path of least resi least resistance. Um, Try a different distro, <laughs> and and then just you know go like that. There's um, if you've got a machine and you're putting you want to put uh, the latest Mint KDE on it and it doesn't work, uh, try something else. Um, and that's you know particularly if you're first loading it for the first time, that's relatively painless. You just download the live CD uh, and and try that. Well, and the other thing to remember is don't be completely fooled by the live CDs. True. Um, I had live CDs that worked on my on my particular Asus laptop, but then when I booted it to install it, it didn't work. And I've had it so, the other way around. I've had the live CD not work, but the installation yep. did. So it's it's you know your your mileage may vary. You know if you're going to try it, try it. The worst you're going to find out is that you have to train. You know you you wanted to run Ubuntu, but you have to end up running uh, Fedora or, or something else. Yeah. Aaron, any thoughts on that? Well, <clears throat> you know, my, my distribution knowledge is so limited um, that I'm just kind of hunting and pecking. So even kind of going and figuring that out from the front end seems a little daunting as opposed to 
like a Windows driver or front end or whatever, but I'm sure if it's out there and the Googles knows it, the Googles will tell me if I were to ask. Well, that makes you sense. actually, by invoking the W word, you, you make a good point. Sound drivers can be a real pain in the neck on Windows, too. Um, yeah. Oftentimes, that is like that and the network card are the two things that don't work when you're right. installing Windows. So uh, maybe we just need to get the, the hardware manufacturers on the stick. It's, it's clearly their problem if the biggest OS that's on 90% of desktops in the world has trouble with it. Yep. Chris, what do you do if your camera makes you upside down? Uh, well, uh, you, A, can go buy a new camera that doesn't make you upside down like I did. Um because the current camera that I have does not have any controls for upside downness, um, and I've tried every fix that I've found. Everything it just—it's a bug with uh, the video for Linux package that this particular camera it displays upside down. And I've tried every package. And what's funny is I can get like Cheese and all the other local cameras. You know, local cameras—they work fine. But some of the, like, Google, the Google video for the Hangout and Skype video, it's upside down no matter what I do. Right. Um, and actually, that that's another good point that you brought up there, uh, incidentally. The Linux community is aware of these problems, and sometimes they'll fix it in software. Like you said, there's a, a fix upside down button uh, on a lot of things. Uh, like, uh, th- there'll also be a red-blue shift. Like, if you, yeah. uh, if you pull it up and you're all blue... If you look in your camera properties in your OS, there's generally a button that says red, blue shift. You click that and boom, everything's normal. So what it does is, is it doesn't work the right way, so it reverses it to make it work. And, and, uh, sometimes there's an upside down fix. Literally, there is yep. a button that says upside down fix. And you check that and whoop, you rotate it over. So, um, the Linux community, I don't think you would ever find that in Windows. Uh, to be honest with you. Uh, but in the Linux community is very responsive in that way. If there's a problem, they just can't fix it. That's what this show is about. We'll work around it. And we'll just make a button that flips everything upside down. Yeah, and most of those bu- those bu- those uh, bugs, or as I call them with big air quotes, you know, features. extra features, <laughs> um, mm. the, you just end up either dealing with it and, you know, or you find that self, yourself a workaround. Um, I ended up buying a really nice camera, so I have even better video than I do on my own board, which is nice. Yeah. Of course, you still don't know if I'm wearing pants or not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is the network that was launched by a couple of tightwads, so we don't recommend just going out and buying new stuff every time something doesn't work. But honestly, sometimes that is the best solution, because if you bought a $200 laptop like Aaron's got, the camera in it probably sucks anyway. And if you're upside down, you might as well just go ahead and go get another one. I'm not insulting your camera, uh, your your uh, laptop. I'm just saying that's generally the way it goes. If you buy <laughs> something cheap, you're, it's made of cheap stuff. Are you saying that my $279 laptop may not have a $200 camera in it? <laughs> yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. I'm saying it might have a, a $9 camera in it. Well, and you know, when it comes to cameras, you know, your web cameras, those are so cheap anymore that you know you can go down to your local you know, supermarket and they have web cameras on the shelf for $6 or $12 all the way up to, I think the most expensive one I've seen was $112 that had face tracking. And that was pretty crazy. Yeah. And, uh, if you are in the market, by the way, Amazon, uh, com slash Amazon has a huge selection of webcams. (laughs) And that's where I buy all my stuff right now is com slash Amazon. There you go. Uh, graphics cards. Now, if you're a gamer, this is a, a, a big deal. If you're just yep. a desktop user, it's much less of a big deal. Um, but there's, there, let's talk a little bit, Chris, about the philosophical issues of the restricted drivers. Yeah. Um, well, personally, I'm of the ilk that if I have the hardware, there is no philosophical issue because I've already purchased it. The, um, a restricted driver just means I have to go download it myself. Uh, you have to do that in Windows anyway. If you purchase the hardware, you own it, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, there's there's those people that feel that if the, say, NVIDIA and AMDs of the world, if they don't give out their proprietary knowledge, then they're, they're doing something bad. I don't believe that. 
Um, they have to, they have to keep you know money on their that coming in for them, and they have to keep food on their table for their families. I understand that. I don't have a problem with that. But having that that window saying that you know you're doing something bad by installing these restricted drivers, I think that's a bunch of hooey. Uh, Chris, can you give me off the top of the, your head a couple of distros that are very anti um, restricted driver? I know there's some, but I can't think of any right now. Fedora is that way. Fedora, if they're not free, they don't want it, or they'll make their own driver to run it. Right. <laughs> um, uh, Sousa used to be. I think they're moderating that uh, opinion um, recently. They're well, not really. What they did is they put some other their driver caches, their repositories, in an easy way to install them yourself. So you can just click a button and then you can install the drivers yourself. Uh, see ubuntu gives it to you pretty much open-handedly yeah. uh debian is a little more uh free based where they want you to not run the free drivers if you can now, uh, or legally you- they can't ship it that's part of the non-openness of it they can't uh ubuntu yep. for example can't include this restricted driver in their kernel um that's it's not theirs to redistribute it's against the law right uh, Which is why they give you the links to download them in the repositories. Right. So what Ubuntu does is when you install it, a little box will come up and say, there are restricted drivers, and we recommend that you go get them. Here, push this button, and I'll do the rest of the work for you. Yep. And we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later of the on this thing about those restricted driver buttons, because that's a, I got a funny story about that. Okay. You want to go ahead and um, talk about yeah. it now, or, or shall we wait? Well, okay, we can talk about it now. Um it was just an interesting thing that we ran across uh, my this summer. I have a student helper who's a Linux wannabe, I guess the best way to put it. Um, well, that, that's kind of a mean thing to say. I wouldn't say wannabe. He's getting his, his Linux feet pretty well wet. Um, he's been running things. I mean, he's actually running Crunchbang on a laptop that we were going to give to the uh, recycling company to see if he can get it to work in Bayagal. The uh, Crunchbang distribution on this old laptop really screams it was really shocking and everything worked out of the box so it was, it was a neat test of crunch bang um but there's some things that he just doesn't quite catch and one of the things was is um the ubuntu install you had was saying here's some you have a restricted driver available click here to install it he would click there to install and it wouldn't install but if he went to NVIDIA and downloaded the the .run file, he could then get the the thing to install. So don't always trust that click here button to install your, your restricted drivers because you might just be better off going to NVIDIA or ATI and download their you know current drivers first. That's a good uh, tip. I've never had that fail on me personally. Uh, it's always just, just worked. But I know two people now, me and him, have both had that problem. Okay. NVIDIA, there are no uh, requirements to keep that link um, the same, I guess. So they could always, even at that level, just change the the link between the distro and the. Well, the it wasn't that it, it it wasn't really that they changed the link to the lo- the location of the driver. The driver uh-huh. downloaded and it installed, but because the age of the driver that was available in the rep in the repos was too old, it didn't. Actively activate the card, so it was installed. It says it was installed, and but in the little dialog box, it says it's not activated because it couldn't activate the 3D functionality of the card. Ah, uh, okay. So age age matters in that situation. It really does. You really want the latest drivers. Um, that's why, well, especially if you're especially if you're a gamer, right? Uh, that's why Windows pops up and, and tells me pretty much every other day that there's a new video driver. Because uh, <laughs> manufacturers are right on top of that. They want you, if you got their card, they want you to have the greatest performance because, you know, you're their customer. You're also their sales force in, in a lot of ways. Uh, so they want it to, even in Linux, they want it to work best. And I think that's uh, the biggest argument against the people saying, well, we're not going to do non-free uh stuff or or like fedora says we're going to make our own they they're they're doing like the samba guys are like we talked about last week they're reverse engineering they're never going to do as good a job as the people who actually have the hardware spec in front of them 
So, uh, yep. you know, put the free, the non-free stuff in there. Everybody benefits. Of course, their response is, well, just open source it. Well, sure, let me open source it, and then anybody can go make a card exactly like ours because I've open sourced it. Yeah, it, that's why I, I don't have a problem when I'm when people come to me and ask about you know what video card should I run if I want to try Linux, and I I full heartedly stand behind Nvidia because you know there's only been one distribution that I got burned with an Nvidia card, and they came out real quick saying don't install the drivers because there's a heating issue, so that was kind of an issue, but there it was one of those things that. Nine times out of ten, Nvidia has has got my money, and they've per- haven't failed me yet. Now, this next thing I want to talk about, I swear, I will always swear, I am convinced. You cannot convince me otherwise that this is a bug in Linux. It's not a feature; it's a bug. File systems that are case sensitive—that's ridiculous. If I spell the <laughs> uh, something capital uh, P R I N T. Or spell it lowercase p-r-i-n-t. That should be the same thing. And in any other uh, computer programming language or operating system since the beginning of time, hyperbole extended, uh, that has been true. Only in the Unix-Linux world are those two different things. It's a bug. It's not a feature. And anybody got any good ideas on how to work around them other than just always spelling everything lowercase, which is, which is what we end up doing. We yeah. end up just ignoring the shift key on their keyboards. Well, I know, I believe Oracle databases are case-sensitive, too, which is really weird when you're going from a, like me, that's a primary Microsoft SQL. It's the same kind of thing. I'm used to it. It doesn't matter. You know, it's totally, other than if you're doing a specific string search, it can, it'll actually return on either, but you can force it to be case-sensitive if you're trying to find it. You know, I want to find every place where Mark's name isn't capitalized. Right. That kind of thing. But otherwise, it just looks for Mark as Mark as Mark or Marky Mark. Um Shuggy Fresh, any of those. I can find any rapper you want, regardless of the capitalization of their name. And so, yeah, I don't know. That's just, I didn't even realize that until you said that, Mark. That's something totally new. That's my new discovery of the week. <laughs> As a <laughs> web developer, if you're writing hand coding, and nobody does this anymore. They all just do calls to, to databases. But I still do a lot of hand coding of HTML. And it's incredibly frustrating because case matters. I have to spell it exactly the same way every time. And if I capitalize the URL, then the person typing in the URL has to capitalize it when they type it in. Um, if it's a running on a Linux system, it's running on, on uh, Apache. And it's ridiculous. So one of my workarounds, this is stupid, but one of my workarounds is Samba that we talked about again last week. The uh, the Linux implementation of the Windows file sharing is not case sensitive because Windows is not case sensitive. So what I will do is set up a Samba share on my own machine and reference that and everything. So then every time I'm saving something, I'm saving it to the Samba share, not to the actual place on the drive. And then case sensitivity doesn't matter. It's wow. stupid, but it's what I have to do. That definitely See, falls just, under the category of workaround. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's like wow. Now, personally, I just don't worry about case. I just keep everything low. Um, I've done that since I was little. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I first down, started coding, little. yeah, when I first was coding in BASIC, um, because BASIC you you did everything in lowercase, and it's just one of those things that stuck with me, and I never changed. It, it actually oh. it makes it, it irritates me when I have to actually capitalize something. Well, you know, and SQL program is what I do the majority of my programming in. And it's nice. What do they call it? Camel humps standard, you know, where you capitalize the first word, first right. letter of the word. If it's, you know, if it's, if it's a patient first name, it'd be capital P, capital F, capital M, just to make it more illegible. But I forget to do that. I don't even, I, I, I just blow through it most of the time. So, uh, yeah, I like, I, you know, like I was saying before, I just don't worry about case. I leave everything lowercase. And which actually got me in trouble at one of my old jobs when I was doing uh, medical collections because they were the camel hump people where every other every couple of letters had to be capitalized to uh, make them stand out. And yeah, I got quite a few write ups because of that. Well, not only that, but when you when you transition then to actually talking with real people, like in a letter, you have to remind yourself of the rules of punctuation and capitalization, <laughs> and you look like a moron because you've forgotten that you have a shift key on your keyboard, and then you're writing a resume, and it's all lowercase. Okay, that's an extreme example, but it really does happen. 
Yeah. I can see how that would be an issue, but uh, I guess I've, I'm paying more attention than <laughs> most. Well, on a, on a sidebar, some people who use WYSIWYG editors and things like that, they feel free to make the name of the field as long as they want. So this is uh, hopefully our web developers aren't, that I work with aren't listening tonight. Adam, John, if you are, <laughs> I apologize. Um, because they may eventually end up listening to this show at some point. They're using they're using some kind of content management web system at web app development thing that they've actually built. I mean, these guys are incredible programmers, but it appends all kinds of things to the prepends things to the name of the field based upon the the to reference where it's at in the application. So it'll be like uh, you know, web app name underscore some other thing underscore patient last name. And it'll be like a 34 character name. And I'm trying to to write this. All I want to do is select something out of there. That's all I want to do. I just want to do select in a field name from your table name, which is also 45 characters long. So then I'm I'm having to open, you know, bring up the the table tree on the left and drag the the, the table names into this query editor window just because I, I can't, you know, I, I can't. Uh, it's it's so arcane and it's mixed together and. It doesn't make uh, typing can't get it just right. One character off, nothing. Okay, what? No, that's not either. Oh, no, that's not. Just forget trying to remember what it was and do it from from memory. So, rule of thumb, total sidebar. It, when you're coding, make the field name, the variable name, whatever you're doing, something that's meaningful and brief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but as a Camel coder, as a coder, the more descriptive you can be in your variables, the better. So it's it's two conflicting worlds there. Yeah. Well, it, yes and no. I mean, it it you can be so descriptive to the point that you can't read it and make legible sense of it either. <laughs> and another thing, uh, while we're talking about file systems, um, and this is a workaround that I don't have a workaround for other than make good backups. There's no undelete in any of the Linux file systems that I know of. Um, you know, it's in Windows, in Windows there is an undelete. Um, I don't know about the Mac OS. Uh, I think not because they use the same underlying file systems. Uh, but I know what is a uh, Z ZFS um, yep. has built-in undelete and revisioning and all that sort of stuff. But they've been promising ZFS since the Carter administration. Um, it's you know it's not happening. Uh, well, and it's it's Solaris that's ZFS, and it, it's been running ZFS for a long time. Um, but what's coming, and it was supposed to be in the next version of Fedora, but it got bumped back a, 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 a just a version, uh, is called ButterFS. ButterFS, that's yes, it. that's the successor to ZFS. Yep, and it's it's the uh, there's a way to install Fedora 15 using ButterFS, and from what I've heard, people that have moved to ButterFS will not move away from it because of the shadow copying that it does. It also and, does uh, deduplication built in. Yep. If you've got multiple copies, it it uh, puts them all over. Even if one copy is different, it just re- does a diff of that. Um, it's, it's really supposed to be the end-all, be-all uh, file system that Microsoft will never use, I'm sure. But it's also this is on the same note. That's what um, <laughs> RiserFS was supposed to be too. Yes, uh, if you remember that, Riser was supposed to be in that you know the end of all file systems, and we all know what happened to that. The performance of it was terrible. I formatted a server using Riser just my, my, mainly out of curiosity, and it was twenty percent, thirty percent slower than using ext3, and I saw no real benefit out of it. ButterFS well, is supposed to be even faster. Yeah, um, but riser was, it's the overhead of all that error correcting that, that kills riser. Uh, there's still people that use it, though. Um, the un, what is it, unraid? Yeah, unraid. They use a, a spinoff of riser, um, in, in their, uh, network attached storage implementation. And in that point of view, you don't really need super performance because it's just a file server. Right. Folks, we're really getting geeky this week. If you missed your geek content <laughs> last week, you got it this week. Exactly. Yeah, no kid. So, is there? I mean, is there a workaround for the undelete? Um, don't delete, I guess. Um, have good backups. Yeah, most file systems today have a, a trash can of some sort, but those only work if you deleted it through, like, the file manager. If you deleted yep. it from the command line or from an app, it's gone. 
that's just it. Then there you there is no undelete you can run. Um, you know, on on the NTFS side, the Windows side, uh, undelete is a, a, an iffy proposition at best. It's you know I'd, I'd call it a coin fl- coin flip or even worse. But you can sometimes recover files. But on the Linux side, you you know you you install an app and it just says the file is gone. Get over it, and that's just kind of yep. the way it is. Yeah, there's been some tools I've put I've played with on the Windows side that would recover. Um, some really deeply lost files, and I was actually shocked. Um, they weren't well; <laughs> the files were broken, but they would still open, and they got, I'd say, eighty percent of the files uh, that they needed, and that was uh, formatted. And then, for some reason, somebody ran one of those scrubber tools over it, right? And it still pulled up stuff off of it. So if you're willing to dig through, you know, funky file names and half broken files, even NTFS and you delete is still recoverable. Right. But ext3, uh, ext4, any of those Linux and Unix file systems, you're pretty much, uh, yeah, you're floating without a paddle. And I'm I'm not a heavy enough geek to know why that is, but it has something to do with the fact that it's a journaled file system. Mm-hmm. And and the the process of being journaled can actually make your drive much more stable. You can recover damaged stuff, but you can't recover deleted stuff. So you're better off having a crash than you are deleting something. That's weird, isn't it? Yes. Those crazy Linux guys. <laughs> but <laughs> I have had journals save me on more than once. Uh, you run FSCK, which uh, sometimes you can put the... Uh, replace the F in that one, uh, with the U in that one with a different, uh, the S. Dang! That was a good one-liner, <laughs> and I just screwed it up. Never mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, you uh, you can run that, and you can either totally destroy all your data, or you can get all your data back. And it doesn't really seem to be any in-between. Uh, rarely will you get some of your data back or destroy some of your data. So, you know, with great power yep. comes great responsibility. Yeah, it either finds where it's supposed to start the journal at, or it doesn't. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> well, but which one of these is page one? I can't tell where page one is. Let's just start with seven. Oh, that doesn't make any sense at all. Throw it away. Yeah, but there are multiple <laughs> journal blocks uh, in a journal def, like ext three or four. Um, there, I, I don't. Again, I don't know enough about how it works, but it stores all this stuff all over the drive in multiple locations. It can, and any one of them can work as long as it can find a piece of good usable stuff. It can reconstruct all sorts of data, but it can't undelete it seems counterintuitive to me interesting well which is why butterfs i'm hoping it comes to the masses because for what it's supposed to do it's going to make you know linux in the enterprise or linux on the home computer slash linux on the home server it's going to be one of those things once you get used to it you're never going to go away from it yeah and we were also supposed to have flying cars sometime around 2000 and that has been <laughs> yeah. question totally unrelated to linux that's cuz that's what i do um, if i terminal services into a computer and then delete a file on that computer while i'm terminal service no backup if i just open a share backslash backslash computer name backslash c dollar sign backslash so-and-so's hard drives folder and delete a file right there. It doesn't go in my recycle bin on my local PC. Does it go in the user, the default user recycle bin on that PC or does it just go away forever? Well, that goes back to what I was talking about. It only works if you do it through the, the, uh, the file manager at that point, you're not doing it through the file manager. You're doing it essentially through a command line. So no, it just goes away. Yep. So even though I just it, goes, even though I clicked on the the link in a folder and deleted it as I would on a regular desktop, in which case it does go to my recycle bin. It doesn't because I'm not really doing it that way. Right. Right. Sending it a remote command remotely. Right. Yep. That's a yeah. user abstraction, so that you have an Explorer window, but really you're sending server message blocks. Which again, we yeah. keep building on episodes from the week before. If you didn't listen to last week, you're totally lost in this week. <laughs> <laughs> Stop now. Go back and listen to <laughs> Now, Chris, to this, is a, one. this is a question. I'm going to defer to your superior Linux knowledge. Can you script something that needs sudo to run? I've never found a way to do it. Like, if I want to have something that starts 
automatically, right? And in, in Ubuntu, there's that little thing there where you can say uh, things that start automatically. You can click the, t- you can type in a command there. But if you type sudo there, it's going to ask for a password. Is there a way to automatically script something that launches sudo without needing a password? Well, like Chris is thinking to the newbies out there, what is sudo? Super user do, S-U-D-O. Uh, it allows, it's like uh, in Windows the, a few years ago with Vista, I think they added the run as option. Uh, so it allows you to run as an administrator a certain command right. or file. Super user do, sudo, sudo. Um, I think there's a way to do it. Um, and it goes to the idea of when I was mounting Samba shares, there is a, and I don't know, I think it'd be more. Concentration on his face is so intense. (laughs) The, uh. He's thinking, I wish I hadn't had that last beer. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, now I've only had. Yeah. (laughs) Um, what I would say is that if. There, I see. Like I said, there. I know in Samba you can do it, and which would make I would almost bet that you can do it in other programs as well, where you issue a switch that makes it look at a credentials folder or a credentials file, which can have the use the the root password in a file that only root can see. You see where I'm going with that? Yeah, yeah. I've done that in with Samba. Uh, yeah, it's, I it's, think the Windows equivalent I, would be having like a um, uh, what's that when you're building a package, an answers file, uh, yep. something like that. You got to have a file there that tells you what to do. Hey, anybody listening? Any seventh, seventh level level neckbeards out there? Um, <laughs> and get, get in the forums and answer that because that's a real question. I don't know the answer to. I would like to know the answer to. How do you script a sudo uh, without needing a password? I know how to get a graphical sudo if you're running something that needs the graphical prompt. Yeah, but, but I just want something to launch. Like yeah. for example, um, what what brought this up was I I wanted to I bought a Drobo. I haven't talked about that. I bought a Drobo. You you know what a Drobo is? Yeah. Isn't that an African drum that you play by? Yes, it is. But it's also data robotics. Um, uh, it's a really cool NAS uh, thing. It's 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 on the expensive side. Uh, so uh, not a lot of Linux geeks use it, but it's uh, it's really good enterprise NAS um, that is multiple redundant in lots of creative ways, and they've got secret sauce in there, and you can you can put any size drive in any of the bays, and it just automatically uses it in a redundant manner. So it's not like like a RAID where they have to be the same size. Anyway, I bought a Drobo; they're pretty cool. Check them out. But I wanted to be able to mount that on my backup system automatically, but the only way to do that was with sudo. So what I ended up having to do was do what I've done, talked about earlier, the uh, workaround, mount it as if it were a Samba drive. So I had to turn Samba on on the Drobo and do the automatic mount because I couldn't find a way to run the sudo command without having to type a password in every time the server boots up. Okay, if that's what you're doing, what about... Have you tried adding the fuse package and then put the use the main or whatever user you're having the server run as as a fuse member, so then they can do fuse? That's awesome. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that would be something that we could talk about that's, on another that's show. Good then good stuff. No, actually, I, I found a, a set of utilities uh, that did it. So I, uh, I just lied a little bit there. It turns out somebody made a Linux version of the Drobo tools, so I was able to just use that and add it to the FS tab. See, all sorts of lingo flying around here in geek stuff. FS yeah, tabs. I, I heard your description of this the other day on the Taiwan Tech talking to Sean about I was running a virtual PC inside the negative zone uh, <laughs> attached to <laughs> the fourth plane of the Eldar using a virtual drive that didn't really exist. It was actually in, created in plasma. Right. And, uh, <laughs> it's all these, the description. There's all these things that don't exist interacting in the in a way that is only possible with unicorn vomit. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so anyway, um, uh, Chris has put a link uh, in the show notes to Fuse. I don't know what Fuse is. First time I've ever heard of it, but I will put it in the show notes. I'm thinking about buying one of those as a car, the Ford Fuse. <laughs> well, a, what it was Fuse? The car, the 20, it was the 2010 car of the year. 
<laughs> I'll, I'll give people the the quick bullet notes here for Fuse. What it basically is is a. I'll read the introduction off that link. It says that with Fuse, it is possible to implement fully functional file system and user space, which would be if you're logging in as a base user, you don't need root in order to do um, a mounting. So instead of saying uh, like for mounting NTFS. Uh, Windows drives normally you need to mount that as a as a file with Fuse. What is it? NTFS 3G, which is a Fuse program that does NTFS. It will do. It'll mount that for you. Uh, a lot of times you have some of Fuse already installed, and that does like your USB keys and Windows. Some. Okay, that's the context I've heard of. I knew I'd heard of it in the context of USB mounts. Yep. But there are extra bits to Fuse that if you don't have them installed, then it makes things like mounting Windows shares difficult. So if you install the Fuse, what is it, Fuse-SMB, it then allows you to mount um, Windows shares without the need of a um, root password. Cool. All right, so the next thing, I'm, I'm not going to spend too much time on it because we've beat it to death in previous episodes, and it's just dealing with apps that just don't work in Linux. And you, you can try Wine, hopefully that'll work. You can run it in a VM, hopefully that'll work. Or you can find an alternative that'll do the same thing, um, hopefully. But as we've talked about in previous uh, shows, particularly last week, um, sometimes that's just not an option. But some of the, the workarounds, this is a workaround episode. Uh, wine and, and uh, running it in a VM are the two biggest workarounds for things that just don't work in Linux. And the other workaround is turn your desk, your chair, 90 degrees to the left and use your Windows computer that's sitting right there beside you. <laughs> yes, have two computers. <laughs> Which is really what a VM does, right? At that point, yeah, you're not is. in Linux anymore. Yeah. No. So let's get to the 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 contentious one because I'm interested to hear what uh, what oh. you guys have to say on this DRM. How do you deal with DRM in Linux? Digital rights management or digital restrictions management, as Stallman likes to say, he's fond of renaming things. Uh, just off the top of my head, iTunes, Netflix, Hulu, um, uh, uh, DVDs, Blu-rays. Um, these things are designed specifically not to work in Linux. So how do we work around that? By other places, like iTunes. I don't use them, period. Um, I'm an Amazon guy, um, and I tell everyone else the same thing, especially when it came down to the when I heard the fact that you can only use or burn this the MP3 or, or AAC file that you downloaded from iTunes three, di- three or four different times, and then the f- file self-destructs. Oh, I don't think so. That's just a bunch of crap, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, here's my workaround for that, and I think I may have mentioned it on the show before. You take an iTunes file, you use iTunes to burn it to a DVD. The Redbook file on that DVD has no DRM. There's no managed, there's no idea of it at all. Now you have a totally non-DRM'd version burned on that on that CD. I said, I think I said DVD, CD. Then you yep. can rip that back into a standard MP3 or FLAC or whatever. So that's a workaround. It's, it's a pain in the butt. But it works, mm-hmm. and that's what I do. Every time I download something from um, a DRM source, I burn it to a CD and then re-rip it. So every Wednesday after you go and you download the top three songs from iTunes, from uh, American Idol, you <laughs> – sorry. Yeah, if I were to do that, yes. <laughs> yeah, and Netflix, I mean, you pretty much you, – you go Windows, you go home. I mean yeah. – Well, not 100% because it's actually – I know it's on the Android, and I've heard rumors of it coming to Linux in yeah, a we, restricted level. Right. We've we talked about that before. I'm just saying, yep. currently from a desktop perspective, today, if you want to run Netflix, it's yep. got to be either real Windows or simulated Windows. Right. What, what's uh, the uh, what's the the video streaming called, Mark? That's built into Boxy, like where you can purchase Voodoo. Yeah, yes, Voodoo. Uh, Voodoo is. Uh, a really cool service with lots of movies, but it's a little expensive for my tastes. I haven't actually tried it yet because it is, you know, you know, three bucks, and I can get it for a buck at Redbox or whatever. Yeah, so have you have you used it? Does it work well? As a side note here, uh, I've only demoed it. Uh, like you get, you know, five or six minutes free uh, on on a movie, and I've checked it out, and it, it's it works. It's cool, but it's like uh, between four and seven dollars depending on the movie, and you right. only get to watch it one time. And, and they're oh, wow. big. Yeah, and they're big and the, files. They take a lot of yeah. bandwidth. 
they're 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 considered you know the equivalent of watching a Blu-ray. Um, they're HD, full hmm. HD files. Interesting. Um, so they look great. And, oh what? yeah. As long as you have the pen with the handle, it like in my little world, I think I, I, I would kill <laughs> Aaron's favorite word. Yeah, Gotta have the bandwidth. <laughs> in, in in my uh, in, in my backwards community, where you know I'm halfway up the tree and I get five down, and I think five twelve up. Yeah, uh, downloading or streaming high def content would almost be impossible. Huh. And then, as far as Hulu goes. Hulu works in Linux. I, I have no problem watching my Hulu in Linux. Yeah, but they they restrict what you can see and, and where you can go. Like for example, if you have uh, Boxy running on Linux, they block it for Boxy. So then you got to go to the browser to use it. Yeah. Uh, so it's because they use Flash. Right. And so it's, it's and if you don't have Flash, you're screwed. Right. Well, so don't the, they? Go ahead, Aaron. Didn't they block Hulu in Boxy? Period. Right. You can't. You can't Windows go to Linux. right. You can't go to the Hulu site from Boxy. You have to go to from a browser. So th- those are DRM issues there too. They just um, it's a simpler workaround. You just have to launch your br- browser. Yeah. Another one is uh, somebody sends you uh, a WMV file that they made in Windows Movie Maker uh. on their machine. What do you do? You might be able to open it in VLC. You might be able to try to download the uh, the the codex uh, in Ubuntu. Uh, what is that? Restricted extras they call that, Chris. Yep. And that includes yep. uh, a lot of codex and like uh, the Windows uh, um, fonts, like Times New Roman. If you're just totally in love with that, you can get that through the restricted extras. Uh, but generally, you're going to have to convert that first. Uh, to some using something like Handbrake or whatever before you can watch it, or like we talked about in the last show, if somebody sends you a, a docx file or a, an Office 2010 document, um, you may be just hosed. You may not have an option. What does Times Old Roman look like? I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's probably cra- cr- uh, crumbly and falling down, and uh, um, bunch of crap. <laughs> yeah, lots of blood from Christians on it. Uh, mm-hmm. Times Old Roman. <laughs> Are you actually anyway. Googling that? Yeah. Times Old Roman font. Free download. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I bet you you're going to have all sorts of funny pops up when you do that, yeah. too. All right, guys. Anything else that you wanted to mention that I didn't uh, run do in the rundown there? Mark, I think you did a fantastic job on these notes. Well, I yeah, I, I think that covers everything, um, at least as far as I can tell. There is no free beer app, though, which kind of makes me upset. Or at least free hard cider app. Yeah, but would that be free as in speech or free as in... Wait a minute, you just said free free beer. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, I covered that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay, Chris, well, uh, in between swigs there of your hard cider, uh, what is our command line of the week? Well, this one goes to the Debian and Ubuntu people among us that don't like the command apt-get because for some reason they don't like hyphens. Um, there's another <laughs> one called aptitude. Because that's really the only reason not to like it. <laughs> I, well, they, I, don't I like, don't they don't want to use capitalization. They don't want to use... <laughs> But aptitude is a nice little command. Um, I use it every once in a while because it does a little, it's a little faster than apt-get because it, it doesn't have to refresh the menus before it installs things. Um, it also does a little more deeper digging when it comes through for abandoned packages that you're not using anymore. Um, and it works you know, fairly well. A lot of things are actually based on aptitude, such as if you're in the KDE environment, the K package is not using apt-get. It's using aptitude to do all, the, all its heavy work. So it's kind of nice to use every once in a while to get, a, to get used to it. Um, for me right now, I really haven't found a big reason to use it over AppKit, but it does. It is faster if it's something I know I'm, you know, getting ready to rush out the door, but I need to install a package for where I'm going, like I did on Friday. Um, it was nice to be able to just go click, boom, out the door I went. I didn't have to wait for all the little fluff of app, the AppKit program to run. Now see, me generally, I just use the the GUI, the software center, um, but it all gets you to the same place. Yep. Right. 
But if you're a command line godfather, I can see or why if that you're, would be important to you. Well, and the other thing to remember is Aptitude has a has a, a front end. It does have it's not graphical, it's end curses. So you, you can open it up in a terminal or an SSH session. So if you wanted a semi-graphical interface, you could be an SSH to your your server, type in aptitude, and get a semi-GUI interface. I just got to say, Chris, you are scoring uh, out the top. You use ilk and incurses in the show, um, and that's like a 700-word <laughs> score. That's awesome. Well, you see, I noticed the ilk earlier. Mark, you used grok, which was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Not too many people use throw grok into a sentence. Well, in the Linux world, grok is a very common word. It's a very powerful tool. Yes, it is. Well, I mean, not many people know that, that it came, you know, as a Robert Heinlein, Robert Heinlein literary derivative from one of his novels and what it really means. But anyway. I grok in fullness. Aaron, do you have a noob discovery of the week this week? You know, as we discussed last episode, my noob discovery is... <laughs> All these things that I didn't know about Linux in this show. The, the best thing you can do to learn about Linux, I've found, is to participate as a guest on uh, Everyday Linux Podcast. Because I learn all kinds of things every time. And no, I still I still haven't got anything. I've got nothing. Your dog Except ate apologies. your homework. Yeah. My dog ate my Linux. <laughs> Puppy Linux. Exactly. But a boom No, I was too busy hiking and falling and scraping my knees this weekend to really do my show prep like I should have. And so, as, uh, I would like to point you once again to our website, elementop.com. If you have some noob discoveries or some tips that we uh, didn't mention or some questions that we didn't answer, that's the place to do that at the forums at elementop.com. Share them with the world. And also, if you're listening out there, uh, I've had a couple of people email me and say they're unable to post to the forums, but then I've had other people posting to the forums. So if you're having trouble, let me know, because there, there may be something going on there with our Drupal that I don't know about. But uh, you know, Mark, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but you know, I've had issues in the past, and I actually found, uh, after all I've said about Chrome, that, um, that sometimes Chrome would say I was logged in and pretend I was logged in, but wouldn't let me post. If I would go out and go into IE, I could post. Oh, well, thank you for bringing that up. Um, that does seem to be a Drupal thing. If you clear your cookies, it makes that go away. Okay. So there you go. Um, but anyway, if you can't get into the forums, send us an email at edl at elementop.com. Or if you don't want to follow us uh, in a little more personal way, you can do that over at the Twitters at uh, twitter.com slash elementop and click on the Everyday Linux list. And you can find out when Aaron is uh, uh, falling down next and uh, <laughs> when Chris is going to Taekwondo next and, and uh, my latest witticism about something that's really not all that funny to begin with. So uh, there you go. Um, any other comment, guys, before we say goodnight? Well, speaking of my Taekwondo, I'd have to say that, you know... <laughs> The whole barefoot running thing, I've, I think we've touched on once or twice, either in, in show prep or whatever. You know, some things you just, after you do it, you're like, wow, I never thought it would hurt so much. But uh, barefoot running <laughs> up a, a, a steep incline, uh, you know, it doesn't hurt the bottom of the feet as much as it does the calves. My, my calves are pretty cramped right now from my last little stent up our, our running hill. So one thing to remember, always work up to running in bare feet. <laughs> but the real question is, are those calves covered or not? Uh, I don't know. know. <laughs> and with that, we'll end this episode of Everyday Peace.